Good morning. Glad that we could be together this morning. I wore this so that you'd think I just came out of the forest. <laughs> but we actually filmed it a couple days ago, so just so you know. Uh, I want to just, uh, before we pray together, tell you why I think this is a very important series for us as a community and for our life together as a church. And there's a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, as the scriptures teach in many places, all of us in the room who claim Christ are created in order to be fruitful. And fruitfulness means both the fruit of influence, that others would be blessed through us, and it means the fruit of our own lives being transformed as we move increasingly to become people who reflect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And so we're made and called to be people of fruitfulness, people of influence, people of transformation. And if that's the goal, we have to love the end of the story that Nancy read in the scripture this morning, because the end of the story is the good soil that produces multiplied fruit, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, we're made for fruitfulness. And uh, our world is in desperate need of the very fruit that the gospel is seeking to provide. Our world longs to see reconciliation, healing from addiction, order and joy brought out of chaos, uh, longs to see people liberated from shame, human trafficking, longs to see the race problem solved, longs for connection, displacing isolation. We, we live in a thirsty world, a world thirsty for the very things that the gospel has to offer. But the second reason this series matters so much is at the very time when the world is hungry for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, at, the, at, at, at this very moment, uh, the church is failing to deliver. Millennials, that kind of 18 to 30 crowd is how I define that group, are leaving the church at a rapid rate. Uh, and, and the political divides that are in our culture are now reflected within evangelical Christianity. So we end up mirroring the culture, not only politically, but often uh, in, in cultural ailments as well. Uh, we live in a world of broken marriages. The church is filled with the same kind of ethic of marriage, domestic violence, excessive consumerism, uh, body image issues, shame, addictive behavior. Often, though we're here beneath the veil of what we do on Sunday morning, we, we're lacking, we're barren, we're frustrated, we're burnt out. One millennial uh, in an article in the Atlantic Monthly said, listen, I don't need a youth pastor who entertains me. I don't come to church for entertainment. I want a youth pastor who will show me how Jesus Christ matters in the culture and how Jesus matters in the world and how Jesus matters in my life. And I'm looking for that and I'm not able to find it in the church. Uh, where are the people of God who reflect the character of Christ? That's the question on the table. And if we see a distance between our calling to reflect the character of Jesus and the way that we're living, it's that gap that needs to be closed, and that's why this series matters so much. So take a moment, we'll pray together, and then we'll look at the scriptures. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather within these walls today to listen for your voice. We trust, we pray, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us now and that you'd shape us as a community and your church in this city to be people of hope, people of redemption. We know we fall short. Lord, have mercy on us, but speak to us, shape us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. In any highly consumerist culture, when it comes to agriculture, uh, there's a question on the table, how can we produce the most as fast as possible for the cheapest price? And agriculturally, the way that that is uh, created is through what are called monocrops. In other words, like 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 acres of the same thing, wheat, soybeans, corn. And so we, 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 we plant this industrially, we grow it industrially, we harvest it industrially, we sell it, and it becomes part of the food that we eat. 
But this industrial agriculture has had the effect over now decades of destroying our soil. This is actually a huge problem right now. You may not know this, but 30 soccer fields of soil are disappearing every minute. That's a lot of soil disappearing. That's globally, not just in America. But 30 soccer fields worth of soil disappearing every minute. And though 30, uh, 30 soccer fields of soil are disappearing every minute, to create just three centimeters of healthy topsoil takes a thousand years. So, writings on the wall uh, and uh, Scientific American article uh, written by an agriculturalist says this, uh, if the current rates of soil degradation continue, all the world's topsoil will be gone within 60 years. Bad news for anyone in the room who eats. <laughs> because without soil, no food, right? Without, without food, no life. Like, it all comes back to the soil. And that's what we want to talk about uh, when we come to our faith, because if we revisit this kind of earlier premise, that the goal is maximum return as fast as possible for minimum investment, there's, like Christianity can offer the same thing. Hey, come, take notes, and then go home, get on with your life. Sing a couple songs, drop some bucks in the plate, call it good. I'm here to tell you that that's unsustainable soil care for your soul. And that, and that the, 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 the world is filled with people who would once identify as a disciple no longer do because they've drifted away and, and, the, and the problem is neglect of the soil that is our soul, right? And so as we come to this time together this morning, laying a foundation for what we're going to be talking about the next few weeks, I'm going to show you three unchanging truths regarding our call to be fruitful. First, the, the seed is always good. Second, the soil is the variable. Third, the soil can be fixed. So we, we heard read the parable of the seed and the sower. And in the parable, we, the, first thing, the first truth is this, very simple. The seed is good. This is a very important truth. Let's not skip this too quickly. The parable says the farmer went out to sow seed. And then in interpreting that parable, both in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, this parable is articulated in three different places, Everywhere, this is what we read, the, the seed is interpreted as the word of God. And when I say the word of God, you may immediately think the Bible. Don't just think that, right? Because John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, Christ is the word, and the word, Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when the seed that is sown is the word, is what we're told, this is, this is really what I want you to see. Nothing less than the seed of Christ's divine life resides in you if you claim to follow Christ. I mean, if you said yes to Jesus, you've invited, and you may have heard this as a, as, a, as a child or even recently in your life, I asked Jesus, quote, unquote, into my heart. Well, we can unpack that, but really what it means is this. The seed of Christ, nothing less than Christ's life, is in you. Colossians 1, 26 and 28, Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. Not religion, not like institutional church life, nothing less than the life of Christ residing in you. That's what it's all about, ultimately, right? And so there's a seed in you. And then Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 28, talks about the mystery of our own transformation, both collectively and individually. Mark 4, 26, uh, 26 to 28, says it this way, and I'll just read very quickly here. Uh, what, uh, it's kind of a slightly different parable. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed on the soil, goes to bed at night, gets up by day. The seed sprouts and grows. How? He doesn't know. But the seed produces crop by itself. Now, this is like 
If I just read that, I'm like this. I want to be a farmer, man. Like, what do I do? Late afternoon, I, I get some seed, go outside, do this, go to bed, crop. <laughs> Harvest, sell, retire, done, right? I mean, it's a beautiful kind of parable, like the seed. But here's the, the key to the thing here is this. It says, the seed grows, and then, don't you love this, how even the farmer doesn't know. So here you are. Let's apply it now. The seed that is Christ lives in you. And now you're called to, to represent nothing less than the heart of Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 is where the apostle Paul says, children, I'm like a mother in, 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 in childbirth. I'm so desperate to see Christ formed in you. I want for you nothing less than the joy, wisdom, hope, mercy, strength, peace, generosity, courage that is Christ to be seen in you, displayed so the thirsty world can drink from rivers of living water. That's the goal, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the, so the seed lives in you, but now watch. Though Christ has called you to live up here, we're kind of stuck down here at times, right? And there's a dissonance between who we are and who we know we're called to be. The beauty of Mark 4 says this, when the seed is in good soil, watch me, it says the seed will take root, will grow, will germinate, how? I don't know. Isn't that beautiful? And it was a mystery. God is transforming you. But the beauty of that is you don't have to transform yourself. Nowhere in the Bible are you called to be the transformative agent. Romans chapter 12, offer your body a living sacrifice, and you will what? You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like there's stuff you need to do, but transformation isn't your responsibility. It's God's. How it happens, leave that to God. So okay, we kind of start here with this. What great news is on the table. Christ lives in you. The seed of Christ lives in you. And the seed will grow if the soil is good. So the problem's not the seed. In fact, I'm going to even get a little more uh, dramatic in explaining this to you by taking you to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, one of the most difficult and one of my most favorite verses in the Bible, 1 John 3, 9. Listen to this. No one who's born of God practices sin... Because his seed abides in him. Now, there's a couple of prepositions here. His seed abides in him, right? So we, we read it, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, if Christ lives in me, like, I'm not addicted to sin. We all read that, and you go, amen. If you weren't in Ballard, you'd say something, but you don't. So that's okay. Um, no one's born of God practice sin because his seed abides in him. Amen? amen? Yeah, right. So we get that. Now, but then we go on. This is the part that's annoying uh, because it says, and he cannot sin. And in fact, uh, some translations uh, with the acronym NIV mistranslate this. They, they say, he cannot continue to sin. It's not in, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> what, the, what the text is saying is, he cannot sin. Well, listen, John, you just told me in First John. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8, that if I say I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself. So you're telling me on the one hand, if I say I have no sin, um, I'm a liar. And on the other hand, you're saying, oh, by the way, but you cannot sin. Which is it? Yes. That's the answer. That's the answer. And here's how. Why, now watch this. Like if you say that you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. Why? Because there's a dissonance between who we are in the flesh and who we are in Christ. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, 
He cannot sin. Who cannot sin? Christ. What does Christ have to do with this? His, God's seed, which is Christ, God's seed, Christ, abides in you. And that seed, what? Cannot sin. Christ can't sin. And Christ lives in you. So when you live in Christ, you don't sin either. So that the only time that you're misrepresenting the heart of God is that time when you're living in dissonance with your fundamental identity. You're a new creation, complete in Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing, given all things pertaining to life and godliness. It's all yours. You have all these riches, and if you stuff them in the closet and insist to live as a person of poverty, you will, (laughs) but you'll misrepresent Christ because Christ's seed abides in you, and when you are in Christ, you can't sin either. Why? Because it's Christ's life, not yours. Amen? (laughs) That's it. This is it. Very good news, the problem isn't the seed. Very bad news, uh, many of us think the problem's the seed. Because we're like this, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I failed. Guess Christianity doesn't work for me. Or, uh, you know, I wouldn't be sinning were it not for uh, the evangelical community of which I find myself a part. Or uh, I look around at the news and I just get so depressed, I just want to quit, and so I disengage. And so, you know, we're discouraged, we, we, do, we do sin, we do fail, there is a dissonance between who we are in practice and who is our most fundamental identity in the life to which we're called. I, it's all true, and yet, hear me, the problem isn't the seed, ever. So don't get bitter at God, don't get bitter at your neighbors, don't get bitter over things that you can't control, because the one thing you can control, as we'll see in just a moment, is the quality of the soil. <laughs> and if there's good soil, there'll be good seed. And there is already good seed, but there will be good fruit if the soil is cared for. So so the problem is the seed. Don't be bitter. If your life isn't working, don't blame God. There's a lot you can't control. You you can't control the news cycle. You, You can't control who's president. You can't control your church board. You can't control your spouse. You can't control the traffic. You can't control the weather. You can't control evangelical Christianity. You can't control the problems that are in the world. You can't control what will happen this week. No, control is an illusion. So don't be bitter that the world isn't working the way you think the world ought to work, Hebrews 12, 15, because bitterness will pollute the soil and then the seed won't grow. There was a woman who came and lived with us when we had a retreat center in the mountains, and um, she spent a week with us in hospitality, we studied together, we, she did some practical work with us, we talked a lot about her faith and different things. Last night of her time with us, as was customary, we had a meal with her, and uh, there's like four or five of us on staff, and we asked her, what did you learn this week? And then for the next 20 minutes, we just heard a litany of complaints about how we had failed to serve her well, right? And so... Uh, it was about the cabin in which she stayed. It was about the, literally the quality of the toilet paper in the, in the bathroom. It was about the food that was served. It was, and then it was personal. It was, oh, Richard, you know, and then, and your wife Donna, and she's kind of shooting us. Boom, 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 boom. Five of us around the table. And then she finishes, and that's what I learned this week, that all of you are terrible people. Now the cabin's cold, the toilet paper's thin, Goodbye. And then I go, what would you learn about yourself? 
She said, you know, I actually learned that uh, I can't get along with anyone other than animals. I'm going to live in the forest. Can I borrow some backpacking equipment? That's what she said. <laughs> Can I borrow a tent? And we were like this, no, you can't borrow a tent. It's too thin. <laughs> <laughs> Bitter, right? Man, if Christ lives in you, then we don't need to worry about the news cycle. We need to worry about the quality of the soil. And I point down here because I brought for you a, a case study in good soil. This is a bonsai redwood from uh, my house, second generation redwood. We had a coastal redwood. Start, it started its life at a Dixie Cup in California. It lived in our house here in Seattle for 20 years. It grew. And one day I'm sitting on the deck and I see all these baby trees and I knew someday we're going to move. And so this is the bonsai version of the redwood. And I have to tr trim it all the time because it grows, they grow super tall and fast, whatever. But, but the point is here, this is good seed that found what? Good soil and now it's growing. Rapidly growing, right? So this brings me to the second point. The soil is the variable. The seed isn't the problem. You don't need kind of genetically modified version of Jesus. Like, you need soil care. That's the deal. And uh, 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 a landscape architect uh, who was in charge of all the landscaping over here at the Community Life Center next door, he said to me, uh, Richard, when I talk to clients, I tell them, if you only have a dollar, spend 10 cents on the seed, 90 cents on the soil. Because what matters ultimately is going to be the soil. That's going to determine the, the, the yield and the beauty of the plant. It's going to be all about soil. So Jesus tells this beautiful parable that applies to all of us. And he says some of the seed fell on good soil, but three other kinds of soil. Soil that is, A, in your notes, utterly unresponsive. B, so as polluted by uh, affliction and persecution. And C, so as choked by uh, worry. So some soil is just unresponsive. This is, uh, in the parable, the soil fell on the hard ground, right? It never even went into the ground. Like, in other words, people heard, but they didn't receive it at all. And when we hear and don't receive, then we leave unchanged. Right? All transformation is response to revelation. And if God is revealing something about God to you even today, and you, like, don't respond, your unresponsiveness is called here hard soil. And, and if the soil is hard, there won't be any fruit, even if the seed is good. So don't, this, we hear it over and over in the Bible, what? Don't harden your heart. Because a hard heart will result in the, the, the choking of the good seed. I mean, many examples in the Bible, but one of my favorite examples is in Acts 7. The church is kind of brand new and still really kind of this subsidiary of Judaism, if I can say it that way. And so uh, uh, there are Christians, but the, but the Christian community is beginning to worship differently than the larger Jewish community. They're saying we don't have to worship in the temple. We can worship anywhere. And it's not just Jews who are welcome to worship, but it's Gentiles as well. And, and so they're like uh, Christianity to use a soil analogy, is going to sprout and grow and it looks different than Judaism. 
and the, and the stakeholders of Judaism are threatened by this. And so they, they bring a guy before the, the court, so to speak, and uh, they say, uh, you are accused of speaking against the temple. In other words, they're saying that you don't just have to be in the temple to worship, that God is everywhere. You're accused of saying that. What do you have to say for yourself? And then Stephen, uh, this brand-new Christian, he does a whole kind of Old Testament overview. If you, if you want to skip reading the whole Old Testament, just read Acts 7. You get the whole thing right there, right? But the punchline in Acts 7 is he says, hey, uh, and I'm paraphrasing for the sake of time, but Stephen says, hey, let's kind of revisit uh, how the kind of the stakeholders treated the prophets of old. Like, did people listen to Moses? No. Did people listen to David? No. Did people listen to Jeremiah? No. Isaiah? No. Ezekiel? No. Micah? No. Jonah? No. Like, who did people listen to? Every prophet, this is what he says, every prophet, they, they persecuted and resisted, and many of them they killed. And then Stephen says to this court, you guys are hard-hearted, never wanting to listen to the Holy Spirit. And as he says, you never want to listen, do you know what they literally do? They cover their ears. That's one of the funniest verses in the Bible to me. You never listen. Oh, yeah. I'll show you. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. And then when they were done covering their ears, they picked up stones. They drove them out of the temple because you can't kill somebody in the temple. It's a sin. And they killed him. Hard hearts, man. Listen. God is giving revelation that if we'll just receive it, can set us free. And we're like this, yeah, whatever. I'll listen to God in every area but this one. In this area, this is my area. My sexuality, it's mine. My money, it's mine. My cynicism, it's mine. My, my, my addictive behavior, my hatred of my body, my unwillingness to forgive my parents. My, my pain that I'll carry with me to the grave over my sexual abuse. These are mine. And God wants to set you free, and you're like this. Unresponsive. And then, you know what? The good seed can't grow. That's a problem. So, uh, at the end today, we're going to have a chance to kind of name, perhaps, is there an unresponsive area where, like, You've been holding on to it or you're not seeing any progress in this area. We're going to name that at the end this morning so that God will kind of break up that soil. Second, some soil is uh, polluted by aversion to affliction and persecution. Some soil is polluted by aversion to affliction and persecution. Luke 8.13 uh, 8, says that these have no firm root in themselves. They believe for a while, but then in a time of temptation, they fall away. Now watch this. Like every day, we find ourselves more than once at a crossroads between self-denial and indulgence, right? Many times. Like where we know, oh, this is the right thing to do, but this is the thing I want to do. Make sense? And, and, and so what Jesus is saying here is when you're at a crossroads and there's a moment of either indulgence or self-denial, uh, when, when we choose indulgence, then we're choking the good seed. Like in other words, if I know the right thing to do and I don't do it, for me, then it becomes in that moment what? Sin. And that sin is choking the seed. So I'm called here to, to, to live in such a way that I'm responsive in these, in these moments when I'm making choices between um, uh, indulgence or self-denial, right? Uh, losing my life 
or, or, or saving my life. And when, I, when, I'm, when I'm at those crossroads, I have, to, I have to choose wisely. And often the seed can begin to grow because it hasn't yet been challenged with hard choices. But then when the hard choice comes along, uh, the seed is choked. Rwanda was a Christian success story in the early 90s, like the most evangelized African nation. Over, over 85%, some missiologists say over 90% of people claimed uh, uh, professed obedience to Christ. They claimed to be born again. Like over 90%. And then this tribal thing happened between Tutsis and Hutus, and some Hutu pastors invited Tutsis into their buildings for shelter, and then they barred the doors and they burned the church to the ground. Like, how would that happen? Well, the backstory is the Hutu, many of those Hutu pastors who were guilty of such a horrific genocide uh, were themselves told by other Hutus who had power, if you don't kill everyone in your congregation who's a Tutsi, we'll kill you. We'll, we'll kill your children and wife in front of you, then we'll kill you. And, and people were at this horrific crossroads between, you know, obedience and self-preservation. And they chose self-preservation. Maybe you would too. Maybe I would too. But it, hear me. The soil seemed good until the call to suffer arose. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like self-denial or self-preservation. And, and uh, the question on the table then is we make all these choices day after day. And every choice isn't uh, a choice between protecting ourselves and saving our life or losing our life, not literally. But the question on the table for many of us in the room is, uh, am I indulging my appetites for comfort or popularity or safety, even my appetite for you know, cynicism or bitterness? I'm going to keep these things when God is calling me to a different path. And, and, and when I stand at these crossroads between you know, self-protection and obedience. When I stand at the crossroads and I choose self-protection, then the, the seed is getting choked because I'm polluting the soil. And this becomes just a, you know, a very important principle in all of our lives, like aversion to affliction and persecution. Hear me, Jesus says in John chapter 16, he says, listen, when you follow me, uh, you're going to suffer. Now that can, that's, that can be dramatic, Rwanda, or it, 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 it may be, uh, the suffering that comes because you're called to generosity. And it goes against your nature to open your pocketbook and give. But as you, listen, as you give, you find that, oh, this is the life for which I've created. You begin to fl uh, flower and blossom. Why? Because obedience is nurturing the soil so the good seed can grow. And so we presume to know what's best for us. And, and sometimes we choose greed. Sometimes we choose sexual indulgence. Sometimes we choose bitterness. Sometimes we, we, we choose apathy, disengagement. And when we choose to indulge rather than obey, we're hurting the soil. Third problem with the soil, some soil, it says, is choked by worries, riches, and pleasures. In other words, second one, like I'm just trying to avoid suffering. Third one, it's not a matter of avoiding suffering. It's a matter of, like, I'm trying to have, have everything. Like, I want the best possible life. And so do I want Jesus? Absolutely. Do I want God's kingdom? Absolutely. I want Jesus. I want God's kingdom. And uh, I, that means I want justice. I want mercy. I want healing. I want an end to human trafficking. And I want season tickets. I want the best sex. I want more wealth than I need, financial security, good reputation in the eyes of the culture, best coffee, 
far-flung travel, good food, I'll live till I'm 95 and die in my sleep, that's the good life, right? So I go, do I want Jesus? Of course I want Jesus and this stuff. So I have this kind of giant circle in my brain and the kingdom's in the circle and the good life's in the circle and I'm going after it. And I'm here to tell you, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, this is the word of Jesus, no one can serve two masters. Shrink your circle. You can only serve one. And it says there, look, you'll be, if you're devoted to one, you neglect the other. If you're devoted to the other, you neglect the other. You can't serve God <clears throat> and, quote, unquote, the good life. No. Now, let me, I'm going to be super clear here. God's not opposed to good coffee or travel or dying in your sleep when you're 95 or the best sex or any of that stuff. God's not opposed to any of it. Here's the point. Like, what one thing are you seeking? I mean, ask yourself. What one thing are you seeking? Because here's what Jesus is saying. You really, actually, you can only seek one thing. You can only make one thing first. Seek God's kingdom. It's Jesus, Matthew 6. Seek God's kingdom first. Everything else will be what? Added. Everything, well, everything that I give you will be added. This is super important because many of us, as, you know, as we seek to follow Jesus, God takes us places where we don't want to go, right? Takes us places we don't want to go. And so if we develop habits of kind of preemptively saying yes to God's revelation, do, you know, when God has asked me to fast, then I skip a meal. When God has asked me to give, then I open my wallet. When, ask, when God has asked me to forgive, then I need to forgive. Look, to, to, like as I develop those habits, then when the, kind of when the big ask comes as well, my heart is prepared for that. The tree can continue to grow. And, and just the way that this works, at least in my own story, is, you know, I went to seminary and I thought I was going to be a college professor kind of guy. And I ended up, I say to people, God tricked me, I became a pastor because I went to Friday Harbor for six months as an interim pastor. And I stayed for, you know, seven years. And then I came here just to speak for a week 22 years ago. And I'm still here, right? And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a reluctant pastor. And, and um, there have been moments, more than one, when uh, I, I say to myself and to my wife, I don't like my calling. Does anyone identify? Not with the pastor thing necessarily, but like I don't like my lot in life. Why has God put me here? I don't, li I don't like Seattle. It rains at 6 p.m. on a Saturday night. Right? And they said it wouldn't. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like my income level. I don't like, and I didn't like my income level. I mean, you could, there's things you could do to make more money and be a pastor. don't know if you knew that. Like <laughs> free vocational counseling right there. <laughs> so it's things you could do. Maybe make more money. And I, you know, so w when I was first in ministry, I was like, I, gotta get, I, I need to be done with this. So I started taking classes in city planning, exit strategy. And then, no, oh, I'm called. Doggone it, called. Drop out of the classes. Ah, like when, when I was in high school, I could kick a football 50 yards. Maybe the NFL. <laughs> I mean, ask my wife. I'd go home after, after work as a pastor and with a kicking tee and I'd kick the ball between trees, 30 yards, 40 yards. Yeah. 
then I go home at night and I read Jeremiah and I start weeping. I can't do that. I'm called. Right? Like, there's just like, I want more. No, you're called. I want more. No, no you're called. I want more. <laughs> no, you're called. Over and over again, until there's a surrender. I'll just tell you, it's kind of older. Post-surrender, two thumbs up. Three thumbs up if I had three. Why? Because, look, now there's one thing. A, that's super simplifying of my life. Like, what am I? I'm a pastor. That's what I do. And I teach. And so I want to get good at that. So I kind of try and go deep there. I'm doing my thing. And, by the way, though I'm seeking that, and that's my one thing, God gives me other things. I get to ski. I, I, I get to enjoy good coffee. Unsought. I get to travel all over the world. That's just my, that's my little story, but it's, tip, it's typical of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like you say yes to God, and, and, and you, now you simplify your life. One thing, making Christ reign visible by using the gifts that God has given me. That's your calling too. I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. And now God begins to give you gifts to enjoy. And you start giving thanks for the, the bald eagles and the sunrise and the rain that you know is snow that's going to make skiing later. And you, there's just gratitude everywhere, but you're not seeking it. This is the text. You want the tree to grow? Simplify your life. One pursuit, the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 and forward. So the good news then is, kind of segueing here, third point, the, the, the soil can be fixed. Like in Jeremiah, it says, seek the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, walk in it. Don't sprint, don't drive, you know, a drag race car to the destination of holiness. Just walk, day after day. There, there, are, there are habits that God is inviting us to create in our lives, including Bible reading, solitude, hospitality, fasting, service, celebration. And we're going to talk about those over the next several weeks. Because as you develop, the, watch this, as you develop the habits, what you're doing, you're pouring nutrients into the soil so the good seed can grow. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 12, he says, look, all things are lawful to me, but not all things are beneficial. And then I love this. I won't allow myself to be controlled by anything. In other words, life's made of a, of a million tiny choices. A am I going to uh, check Facebook and Instagram, or am I going to read my Bible right now? A am I going to eat this meal I don't need or go for a walk? Am I going to go to that party or am I going to stay home? And the point isn't that you always eat or don't eat, that you always read or check Facebook, that you always go to a party or stay home. That's not the point at all. The point is that you, th through the discipline of soil care, you begin to make the right choice because your relationship with Jesus becomes vibrant not, and not legalistic. So you begin to make the right choice and your life begins to be governed not by your appetites and your longings, but by obedience to Christ. And you know what the Bible calls that? Don't you love this? Perfect freedom. Perfect freedom. You free to drink alcohol? Absolutely. But if you have to have a drink with dinner, hello, you're not free anymore. It's controlling you. You're free to eat? Of course. But if you can never skip a meal, you're not free. <laughs> yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, like, are you free to have a million friends? Yeah, if you can't handle 10 minutes of solitude, that's a problem. 
Are you free to be alone? Of course. But if you never invite people over, that's a problem. Soil care for the soul. Um, this isn't a quick fix, friends, for any of our lives individually, for our life as a community. Transformation happens measure by measure, slowly. Uh, it's not microwave. It's crocheting. <laughs> my my mother-in-law does this, and she lives with us, and when I go down to visit her, 80% of the time, she's, I don't even know what she's, doing, but she's doing that. And every stitch or knot or whatever it's called, every one seems to be not of much value. Do you understand? Like, this is a big blanket, and what is that? Like, can't you do it faster? No. Actually, no. You can't do it faster. Like, very little. You Try hiking the El Camino. 600 miles. Well, why bother with that one particular step? It's not going to get you anywhere. Oh, yeah, well, a few million of those steps will get you quite a distance, actually. Just like a, a few thousand of these will make a beautiful blanket for a baby. Just like waking up every morning, and whether you feel like it or not, opening the scriptures and allowing God to speak to you will, tr will change your life. Just like, uh, you know, a little bit of fasting, a little bit of hospitality, a little bit of, of solitude, just little by little by little. You know what's happening? You're not changed, you're not changed by the th thing, by the disciplines. The disciplines are tilling the soil. And the seed that's already there is going to begin to blossom. And some of you are redwoods. You're going to grow big and tall. And some of you are apple trees. And some of you are spinach. And some of you are wheat. All good. Don't worry about it. Just worry about the soil. Why? Because, the, listen, the seed is good, but the soil is what? Variable. And the soil can be changed. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word and the invitation to live as people enjoying what you call perfect liberty. Wow. We're here this morning and beneath a veil of singing and propriety and giving and well-dressed. Beneath all of that, you're, you're, I hope and pray, revealing to us kind of that hard soil where you want to do a work. Richard, I want to set you free in this particular area, free from fear of the future, free from body image, uh, free from greed, free from lust, free from cynicism, free from shame. Yeah, would you till the soil of our hearts, Father, as we begin this series together? We'll thank you for it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we respond this morning, I'm inviting you to like a physical response. Some people have done this already in the, in the first service. At the bottom of your notes, it says this, Lord, I desire to break up the hard soil of something in my life. Maybe God has spoken to you this morning. There's an area where you know you need transformation. Still, God's not done with any of us. If you'd like to name that and just pray that God would help you develop habits so that the soil can be tilled, particularly in that area, so the seed that is Christ can set you free. Name your area, tear it off, bring it up. If you're with friends or spouse or something or family, maybe bring them up together and share them and then, and then pray together. But use this time to respond. God's speaking to you to Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. Break up the fallow ground that is the soil of your heart so that God can do what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. Enjoy your response as we worship together.